we're going to come round to the Word of God now. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please join with me um, looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. You should ha- probably have this bookmarked now, seeing as we've looked at this the last five weeks. Um, the link should be in the chat if you're watching online. I will be reading from the New International Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad hearts, uh, glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm going to invite Zoe up to stage. I'm going to pray for her as we do so. Please join with me. Father God, we thank you for Zoe. We thank you for her ministry. And we pray a blessing over the word that she has prepared for us now. We ask that you speak through her, that you make it clear to us what you want us to hear and what you want us to do, to renew us, to equip us, and to see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you again to continue and actually bring together our sermon series entitled The Best is Yet to Come. And I'm going to be thinking about a final vision and value point, which is impacting and what that kind of means for us as a church. But thank you, Steve, for leading us in such a considered way. I appreciate your gifting. But here we go then, our final instalment in our sermon series. And it's been a challenge for us, hasn't it, to stop and wrestle and ask questions as to what God is saying to us as the church at this time. We've meditated and studied and kind of admired the early church as we've gone. And that leaves us to ask the question, where are we today and what are we to do? And I joked with my life group this week that Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 has become kind of the adult version of Hope Kids, where we've had a five-week memory verse to learn as we have kind of indulged in that scripture, and I'm sure we could recite it together. But as we've thought about our vision and we've asked, where are we now and where do we want to be, this has kind of given us an opportunity that we are presented with an opportunity like no other, a unique opportunity in this period of time where us as the church can take stock of where we're at and perhaps realign to go again. And that's what we're going to think about this morning, how we are to make an impact and how are we going to make an impact where we are for Jesus. Last week, Luke unpacked our vision and value of multiplying, which came from kind of that last verse that we read together where it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And sometimes when we read that verse, we ask the question, why is our experience not the same? And last week, though, we were encouraged to not be discouraged, to look again on Pentecost Sunday that the Holy Spirit is a missional spirit that gives birth to a missional church. 
and as we've asked the question, what's the purpose of church? What are we to do now? We've considered together, haven't we, that we are a people who are to love God, to love people, and be on mission together. So today, as we ask, how are we to be on mission together? I think we've been leading up to this. Let's think that through a bit further. But where in that familiar passage in Acts chapter 2 do we find our instruction to make an impact? That's our sending passage, isn't it? But what do we see? This line, everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the many uh, wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And why is that impacting? How is that a challenge for us today? The standout word for me is everyone. Everyone was filled with awe. And that's a kind of a free-for-all in terminology, isn't it? Wonders and signs for everyone to see. The outworking of God's presence, his Holy Spirit, is for everyone. It's not just for the church gathered in the temple. There was awe for all to see. To be found in the daily life of those that gathered in homes and in the temple. And we see it all over the Gospels, don't we? That miracles provoke a response. I love that we started our service this morning with, we give him all the glory. But when we look at this verse and the verse we unpacked last week that says that the Lord added to their number daily those being saved, sometimes we go, wow, but how? And I'm often far too practical, and sometimes I recognize this, say in in a day-to-day situation when someone comes to me with an idea or kind of a dream, I might go, um, I kind of let my practicality speak first before I get excited. And I sometimes let my practicalities and kind of can become a fear for hinder what God might be saying or God might be doing. So for that reason this morning, I've entitled my sermon, Wow! But how? Because you can't help but read this passage and go, yes, Lord, I'm in. I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. I want to see my family and my friends come to know Jesus. I want to make an impact today. But then we get stuck in the vision gap that I've spoke about before, which is kind of where we freeze where we are because we say that's not our reality. We can get overcome by the task at hand. Everything seems too big. But here's the thing. Before we go any further this morning, we outline right at the start the wow, the awe, the wonder, that's all him. There's nothing we can do to conjure up a sign, a miracle, or stimulate a conversation, or make someone come to faith. That is all him. The how is him. But the crazy thing about the how of the wow is that it's him in partnership with us. It's 100% of him and 100% of us. So my prayer today, this morning, is that God would speak about the how, about how he wants us as his body of the church at Hope to make a missional impact in this area, in this city and beyond but that God too would raise an expectation in us for the wow to fill us again with awe and wonder about who he is. 
Last week, Luke showed us a map, didn't he, of hope. Not the building, but the church. About us being God's people positioned all over this city. And he asked two words. What if? Two tiny faith-filled words that we're going to hear a lot this morning. What if over time we began to meet with those of us in our locations, locations positioned to make an impact? What if we began to do that? And if you're slightly daunted as to what that might look like or how that might practically work... You've already done the wow, but how on earth are we going to do that? Then let me encourage you, church. We are in safe hands. This is Luke's thing. He has a gifting to see what others can't see to begin with, an ability to discern what God is saying, to cast vision, to encourage others to step out, and then others tentatively follow. We are in safe hands. But today I want us to unpack the wow and how of impacting. Wherever we are, whatever the shape of church looks like going forward, we are called to be on mission together. To share the gospel is entirely biblical. It's the mandate on our lives. We are called in the ordinary daily life to point other people to Jesus. And that's what I want us to think about today. When I was training and swim, we kind of did an exercise that's very similar to the exercise that we've done with those on our Growing Leaders course over the last few weeks and months. We kind of were encouraged to develop a personal life statement. What does that mean? We were asked to think about a couple of questions. What do we do with our lives? What do we want to see happen with our lives? What do we live for? So those big life questions. And as we were reflecting, we were asked to think about a scripture that we can anchor our calling to. What do I want to see happen in my lifetime? If, if you were to cut me to the core this morning like a piece of Blackpool rock, what would my life say about who I am and what I stand for? And the scripture that kind of came to me, that I kind of cling to, and that I anchor my life to, you could say, is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul is encouraging the church in Thessalonica to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life you should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as I've told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. And for some reason, that scripture resonated with me so deeply. And maybe it's because we watched The Good Life growing up as a family. I don't know if you've seen it. We were a very, we're kind of like a self-contained family unit. We grew up on a dairy farm. I've lived a very quiet life. Growing up, my ambition was to always work part-time. But it's not really the thing that you can go around saying, especially at job interviews, when they ask you, where do you see yourselves in five years' time? And I'm like, I don't really know. 
Me and my youngest sister had this pact growing up that we were both going to become primary school teachers. We were both going to work part-time, have the same class, and look after each other's children. Has that happened? Absolutely not. This week, Tamara has accepted her first teaching job, but it's full-time, and I'm going to train to be a minister. But why do I cling to this verse? Because there's some peace that comes from living with a contented, quiet life of service. And that's what I want to do. I want to work and serve others. I want to serve my family and friends. And that's how I make decisions about how I'm going to spend my time. But I want to live my life in a quiet way. And I long to see my daily life, my Monday to Friday, win the respect of outsiders. And that's what I want to think about today. How can our daily life be lived with an intentionality to make an impact? How does our daily life win the respect of outsiders? What does our daily life even look like? Our family life, our work life? What opportunities are there in our daily life? How does our faith make a difference in our week? And how much of this is visible for others to see? I was really struck when, as a church, we did a Parenting for Faith course a couple of months ago, and Rachel Turner used an illustration that suggests how do you kind of parent for faith, and the first thing you are to do is to create a window into your own life of faith for your children to see. And she used an illustration that when you walk down the road, you often find yourself naturally looking into people's windows, into their homes, and you kind of get a glimpse for a moment of their life. And then she goes on to say that we are to kind of create the frame for the window to sit in. And as we go along, we kind of create an invitation. We allow people in to see our lives. We create a window, but then we say, this isn't just my life. Here's where Jesus is in my life. To give you an example, I could share my story that kind of my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was 21, but I can see kind of all the way through my teenage years that he wasn't well. But how do I frame that situation? I say that at each stage of deterioration, God was faithful to us as a family. I invite people in to see my story and then I share where Jesus has been kind of outworking in that. And that's my quiet, unspectacular life that I want to invite other people to see. As my situation changes, as my life continues, we walk alongside people. And there's something really missional about that. But how often do we do that with our non-Christian friends or with our children? We might say to them, this is happening in our life, but we don't talk about Jesus. And for me, when I read that passage in Acts, that's what I see You can imagine windows being created all the time in the early church. Someone was healed. A sign or wonder took place. But then it wasn't just left there. The gospel was framed for all to see. Do you see that miracle that just took place? That wonder that's just happened? That was done through the powerful name of Jesus. Do you know him? Life was shared, Jesus was explained. But sometimes we get uncomfortable when we use the terminology outsider, because we want to be a people that includes everyone, don't we? And I love that. But there's something very biblical about the fact that the Bible makes it clear that there are those who live outside of God's kingdom. 
There is a vast mission field. We are in the minority. There are many that we know in our daily lives who do not know Jesus. And when we reflect on this verse, maybe we say, actually, we want to live a private life rather than a public life. That's not on display. And I'm not saying this morning that you have to kind of hang all the washing of your like kind of life affairs for everyone to see all the time. But I, what I do want to say is there's something very significant about the times we are emerging from. There has been so much loss and longing in this time. But it's time for us as the church to embrace those stories of loss and longing, but to frame it with Jesus in. This pandemic has given us so many opportunities for evangelism, so many opportunities for conversation. Conversation starters, how has your lockdown been? I found lockdown hard as well. Mine's been really challenging. My dad nearly died of coronavirus, but here's how I'm gonna frame it. Jesus has been faithful. I've had to learn to trust him with my emotions, with my life decisions. And he has been there. I don't know how you've done this pandemic without Jesus. Can I tell you more about him? What I want us to see today is that mission is relational. It's what we see in the early church, isn't it? It's their daily life that won the respect of outsiders, that provided them with so many opportunities for people to see. It was their homes, it was the temple, it was their life just overflowed. They had glad and sincere hearts, and that was so attractive to those that lived with loss and longing. And as we dive a little bit deeper this morning, I just want us to kind of ask three, uh, sorry, three questions. And as we do that, I long for us to be encouraged. My prayer this morning preparing this is that this is a message that's going to free us up to go. That impacting is relational. It's an everyday rhythm of conversations that are intentional, that provoke a spiritual response, that walk with people and help them see what their next step on their journey of faith might be. It's done in the everyday life. But let's ask together, how did Jesus do it? How did the early church do it? And what are we to do? Have you ever stopped and asked the question, how did Jesus engage with the world around him? Jesus had an immense ability to relate to people where they were at. Before this kind of vision and value series that we've paused and looked at together, we were thinking about the Gospel of Luke. And each kind of situation was Jesus just encountering with people, and we'll see that as we return to it in the weeks to come. But Jesus identified with others. He walked alongside them in solidarity, in compassion, in love. He listened to people well. He asked questions and then he met their needs too. But in his identifying with them, he didn't become identical to them. What's so attractive about Jesus is his holiness. In identifying with people, he didn't become identical to them. So for us today, we have to ask, if people cannot tell that we are any different, then we have lost our distinctiveness to witness in the first place. And then there's no respect to be won. So are we living differently, church, to those who do not have a faith? 
Where did Jesus' ministry happen? It happened in the everyday, in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the, at the meal tables. So what are we to do? Exactly the same, identifying with people without compromising our identity as the people of God. Identifying without compromising our identity as God's people. But Jesus not only identified with people, he had a great expectation. And that's one thing we've thought about in our life groups, haven't we? Do we expect to see people come to faith? But Jesus lived by the basis that he knew that God was always at work, seeking to make himself known. We thought last week, didn't we? The Holy Spirit is a missional spirit which gave birth to a missional church. It's an adventure for us to be on mission together. Because we are to know and to declare that no matter how far people may be away from God at the moment, all humans, we were all made to create and we were made and created by God to know him. Hopefully today we are strengthened and encouraged and reassured that God is the one who pursues us, pursues his people. He's the God who will leave behind the 99 in search of the one. He's in the business of drawing people to himself. And we get the immense privilege of walking alongside people, helping them to see the reasons for the longings that they have. Now, it wouldn't be a sermon that I'm kind of giving at the moment with a, a recommendation that comes from Cat Caird. And this book is all about evangelism, stay salt. The world has changed, but our message has not. And what I'd love about this suggestion is to live a missional daily life, is to live where we love people enough to see beyond the appearance and to ask about spiritual openness instead. What does this mean? Jesus loved way beyond the appearance. Instead of looking at the appearance of people's lives, he looked for spiritual openness. Have you ever noticed that Jesus' approach was different whoever he was talking to? One day it's a fisherman, the next it's a group of farmers, and then it's a group of religious leaders. He's having a one-on-one -on -one debate with Nicodemus, and then he's inviting all the children to come to him. His approach was different. Evangelism isn't a formula. It's all about relationships that so our approach should be too. But Jesus never assumed that a person's immoral lifestyle meant that they weren't spiritually open. And Jesus encourages us to look way beneath the surface to discover a person's needs and longings and to ask why. Maybe why do they look, speak or act the way they do? We need to live with an expectation that people are more spiritually open than we think. And if we lived like that church, then I wonder, would this give us far more confidence to make an impact? This doesn't mean that everyone we invite to church, not that that's the point, will come. But sometimes I wonder if we are waiting for people to ask us about faith. And sometimes people will, out of the blue, ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have. But if you think about communication in general, if someone asks me a question, then I'm much more willing to give them a kind of my response. But to bring up a topic of conversation in the first place is really daunting. 
How did Jesus do it? Let's just remind ourselves about a very familiar story where we see Jesus conversing and provoking faith. We know the story. Jesus is at the woman, sorry, Jesus is out uh, with the woman at the well. And he starts a conversation. He asks her for a drink. And the lady is responding and saying, I shouldn't really speak to you. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. And he goes on to address her thirst and her longing. And she says to him, where can I get this living water that you are talking about? And then the disciples come back, don't they? A little while later, they've gone off into town to get the food. And they see Jesus conversing with her at the well. And we really do see how they are shocked. It's almost as if they are saying to Jesus, don't waste your time. Do you really think that someone like her will want to know more about faith? She's a sketchy lifestyle. She's not going to follow you. No way. But Jesus looked at her and came to the opposite conclusion. Out of his great love and compassion, and here's what gives me hope. Here's the display of amazing grace that Jesus is kindly not in a condemning way, calling out her hunger for God and almost saying, look how hard she's trying to find an answer for her thirst. Yes, in all the wrong places, but she's looking. Today, do we spend time asking questions, understanding people's mess? Or do we just ignore them and say, they're not like us, they're never going to want to know about the gospel? The more we listen, the more we understand people, what's going on behind the surface. There's always more that meets the eye. But in a weird way, this should encourage us. Our world is so broken, so messy. I was on the suit run this week and we ran out of sleeping bags at the first stop. Well, if you speak to the guys that run the cat project in this place, you'll say the need is almost overwhelming. And if we focus on the mess, it's overwhelming. But instead, should we ask those two faith-filled words again? What if? What if we viewed our world like Jesus does? Who would he be hanging out with today? We have an opportunity to show people that they are right to be longing. So wanting to feel that inner void inside of them. We listen and we converse, and then we simply suggest that their emptiness is a God-shaped vacuum. What did Jesus do? He looked way beyond the appearance. He lived with an expectation that God was pursuing his people, and he understood that we were all thirsting for him because that's how we're made. What are we to do to love and affirm ask questions, listen well, create a window into our lives, frame it that says Jesus is part of my life and share matters of faith with others. Jesus built this Samaritan woman up, didn't he? He didn't tear her down. Yes, he asked her to go and bring back her husband. And Jesus affirmed her response, I don't have a husband. With the follow-up, you have five, and the man you're currently with is not your husband. He was gracious and truthful, and he revealed his divine nature. He allowed her to see why she needed Jesus in the first place. If our impacting and mission leads us to judge people, then we're doing it wrong. Today, as we ask the wow, but how, we see from Jesus, there's not a formula to loving people. There's not a formula to being a missional people on mission together. It's not just a job for gifted evangelists, for those who are extroverted in nature. 
there's something about being reliant on the Spirit in our daily life, where we ask God to give us the strength to love people well, to discern what they're really saying, and relating how we are all in need of Jesus. But let's just think about the early church for a moment, how they went about their mission. And I think we see them do three things in three ways. Stay with me, we're nearly there, we're Baptists, we love the rule of three. Three things in three ways. When we read Acts, or maybe even we see it in the way that they um, go about their life, we see them do this. We see them proclaim the gospel, they use words. We see them love and serve others, so that's action, that's deeds. And we see them time and time again invite people to repent and put their trust in Jesus. They use words to proclaim the gospel. They use deeds. They serve and love people well. And they give opportunity and opportunity to invite people to repent and to follow Jesus for themselves. It's word, deed, and invitation. That was kind of their message of evangelism. But how did they do that? I think we see them do it in three ways. There were individuals who spoke about Jesus wherever they went. They met in small groups in their homes, and they met in large gatherings. We know when we read Acts, and we know if we kind of have an acknowledgement of the early church history, that as the church grew, the church then was persecuted, which led people to be, the people of God, to be scattered. And then we saw the church grow even further as a result. We read in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, that those who had been scattered preached the words wherever they went. Effectively, we learn from the early church that they gossiped the gospel. Wherever they went, they shared the news of Jesus. And that was done by each individual. I don't know what your story is today, how you came to know Jesus for yourself. Who are the significant people in your life that shared Jesus with you, who as an individual passed on the good news? Have you met someone who just gossips the gospel? How do they do it? What difference would it make if each of us as individuals, wherever we are, wherever we go, shared the news of Jesus? But we also see, don't we, and we've explored it together over the weeks that we've had that they used their homes, they met in small groups, they used their hospitality to those they knew, but those they didn't know as well, believers and non-believers. But they weren't just hosts, they were strategic. They used their homes to share faith, to have faith-filled conversations. And then they gathered in public spaces, didn't they, in the temple to either defend or proclaim the gospel. But let me ask, what if, those two faith-filled words again, what if as we emerge out of lockdown, as we start to see people again, those from church or those um, just in our lives who don't have a faith, we just started to ask questions. And then this kind of culture is, is here where it's natural to ask questions. Maybe the question... How are you and God at the moment? What is your relationship with church like when we start to meet each other in our homes? Or what are you and God working on at the moment? 
Or if you've seen non-Christian friends and families, maybe you'd be brave enough to ask a question. How was your lockdown? Or um, have you ever experienced something so profound that it's caused you to have a wonder moment? That awe and wonder we've been speaking about today. Have you ever wondered if God exists? And then just see where that takes us. Because I think there's a simplicity and a beauty in asking questions to loving and affirming people. Today's message is a simple one. My messages always are. When we read this passage in Acts, we go, wow, but how? And I want us to see today that we are supposed to be a missional people that simply ask the question, and I think it's the question that God is asking of us. How are you prepared to use your quiet daily life to win the respect of outsiders? And that's a challenging question for all of us to ponder. How do I spend my daily life? What does my daily life look like? Do I spend any time with non-Christians? Or am I so consumed by life or by church? How do I love and relate to those in my life, seeking to ask them questions, to dive a little deeper, observing and talking about matters of faith? Mission shouldn't just be an add-on extra for the church, but it's who we are as the church. Therefore, it's not just an add-on extra in our week either. It's who we are as God's people. I'm not giving you an extra task to fit into your week because I really feel some of you listening today, you're going to long for anything. Your life is nothing like a quiet life like I'm talking about. But I want you to see today that Jesus encountered a woman at a well, a daily task. She was going to get water or conversations about faith can happen at the dinner table. We're always eating. There's a freedom that comes and we are so dependent on the spirit that we let him use our daily lives. But I want us to spend some time as a church just kind of pondering now as we kind of begin to respond and, and worship. I'm going to ask the band to come up. That we would pray and God, uh, give God room to give us eyes to see the areas of our lives, of our week, of our daily life, conversations that we could have with people. And I pray today that God would be releasing vision all over our homes, all over us today for our daily life, what our daily life could look like for our life groups, for our children, for our schools, for our church, for us as individuals. Let's think big. And if you're like me, you get kind of hung up on the how. Then I pray today that God would be releasing us from fear or kind of the lie of inadequacy that we don't know enough about our own faith to kind of delve into sharing faith with others. Or if you're kind of feeling dry today that you need an experience of the wow again, then my prayer is that we would be filled with awe and wonder to recognize that there is a God who is pursuing and bringing people to him. But mentally, as we kind of respond in worship, I just want you to take a mental look of your calendar, of your diary, of your week, and just see what God might be saying, people he might be laying on your hearts, but let me pray and then we're going to give God some time and some space to be speaking to us. 
Father God, we thank you today that you are a missional God, that you are a God who looks outwards. Otherwise, we wouldn't even know you ourselves. Who loved the world so much that he sent his only son and that you offer us eternal life with you. Well, Lord, today, as we think about our daily lives, would you fill us again with a sense of awe of who you are? Would you raise an expectation in us that you want to use us, that your spirit is at work? Would you make us aware of the things unseen, those in our lives that are receptive to hearing more about you? Would you give us opportunities all over this city, we pray? Lord, we give you permission to use us where we are in our daily lives. Would we be your vessels? Use us in our weakness. Would we be prompted by you? For those of us today that are stuck on the how, would you release us from the mud, from the fear, from the lie of inadequacy? And for those of us not living with the wow, Lord, would you raise our expectation again of who you are and where you are at work? Lord, we declare again that you are a miracle worker, the way maker. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Would you scatter us for the sake of your gospel, I pray. Would we be bold enough to pray what if prayers for your kingdom's sake? In Jesus' name. Amen. So whether you're at home today or if you're in the building, feel free to stand. We're just going to think about how we're going to respond. And as we sing, we're going to sing some kind of lines and refrain. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Heal our hearts and make us clean. Let's use this moment, this time, this opportunity today in the quiet, in the stillness to meet with God, to be fueled again for the mission that he's calling us to go on. Open up our eyes, Lord, to the things unseen, to the people in our lives, to our diaries. Show us how to love like you love us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, we pray, in our homes and in the building today. Meet with us, Lord, your church. Let's stand, let's respond, let's give him some space and see what God does.